Reading from the third chapter of Bhagavad Gita entitled Karma Yoga, text 20. Thus far, we found that Krishna has been stressing action to Arjuna, who expressed some confusion at the beginning of the chapter as to whether it was action or knowledge, which implies inaction, that he should pursue. He seemed to think that he got advice to do both. What happened in the second chapter was that Krishna instructed him in, in knowledge, sankhya, jnana, knowledge of the self, discriminating between matter and spirit very nicely as he did. And then he proceeded to tell him to fight. So, as much as he stressed knowledge, and knowledge applies in action, when he then stressed action as well, Apparently this brought some confusion to Arjun. Why does knowledge imply inaction? Because real knowledge is knowledge of the self. And knowledge of the self is knowledge of the difference between consciousness and matter and how the two don't mix very well. And so when a unit of consciousness is in pursuit of the happiness that it, that, uh, derives from itself and from its source in relation to matter or material things that appear today and gone tomorrow, then that's what we call ignorance. So action, in one sense, is based on, in the material world, based on ignorance and inaction. Knowledge would imply some inaction. In a very basic sense, also, we know that if you have a higher education, you can act less and make more. So this is the idea. Arjun's confusion, however, was, as Krishna explained, based on the, the fact that he misunderstood that Krishna was speaking really about one thing and the pursuit of the thing on the part of different persons of different eligibility. And he had already stressed earlier in the second chapter what was the eligibility of Arjuna. There is the beginning of the discussion of Adhikar, which is much of what these first six chapters about, after Krishna began speaking about yoga and, and bhakti yoga in particular, abruptly he stopped and said, but you, you have eligibility to do your duty as a warrior, but you are not entitled to the fruits of your actions. So he encouraged him to begin on the path of nishkam karma yoga. And, and, and so here he continues now to emphasize that. He says, these aren't two different paths, really. There's one path, but at different stages it'll appear like Nishkam Karma Yoga, and at another stage it'll appear like Gyan. And Nishkam Karma Yoga is the means to acquire Gyan. You can't just sit down with an impure heart with it when you have a desire to move in relation to temporary things. You can't just sit down, and those things will continue to play in your heart and you will be a mityachara, mityachara, so uchite, cheater, he says. So, better to be an honest worker. 
and uh, there's some power in an honest day's labor, and when the labor, for that matter, is prescribed from the scripture as well, and you do it, there's that much more power in it. And when that, when you do that work, without desiring the fruits, even more power. And when you don't do that work, when you do that work not desiring the fruits, and you offer the fruits to to Bhagwan, that much more so. So that is what he's emphasizing in this chapter, and he keeps stressing now movement, 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 in so many different ways. Is you can't, nobody can stop moving anyway. You have to move. Even a person of knowledge has to move to get something, to get some food, and some. Everybody's got so different ways. He keeps emphasizing you've got to move, and even if you don't move, with uh, without desire for the fruits, then move with desire for the fruits. But, uh, but. Uh, in accordance with the Veda, which will constitute some form of sacrifice. And so, so uh, uh, having stressed movement in general, action, you can see he's just trying to make a particular argument here. He's trying to convince Arjun to do Nishkam Karma Yoga. And so from so many points of view, he's talking about the need for action, the purifying effects of action. And he's almost sounds like he's condemning Gyan. He's not really condemning Gyan. He's just saying it's not for you. <laughs> so you get into this thing where, you know, Nishkam Karma Yoga, Gyan is bad, you know. And this is not what he's saying. It's a particular point in the Gita, a particular point he's trying to make to Arjun and to all the readers as to this yoga ladder, if you will, of eligibility and how that will express itself according to your eligibility, how your yoga will be expressed. This, in the language of Balade Bhujibhushan, is the... Uh, this ladder is, is meant for what he calls the Sanishta Bhaktas. He has three categories of Bhaktas. seems to be a unique contribution of his. Sanishta, Parinishta, and Nirapiksha. So the Nirapiksha is the renunciate devotee who only does bhakti. Hearing, chanting, serving the deity, serving Tulsi, serving the Guru, all these things. This is all he does, renunciate. And then the Parinishta. Parinishta is the devotee who primarily does bhakti, that's his or her interest and preoccupation, but because they're family people, the Parinishta, they have other obligations. So classically speaking, they work according to the injunctions in the scriptures, and the fruits of that they offer to Bhagwan also. And in the high end of the Parinishta, they aren't really attached to that work, but they're in the situation, so they do the work dutifully, provide for the family, take care of the children, and so on and so forth, and, and do the various um, observances in Varnashram by way of example for others who need that example. So then beneath that is the Sanishta devotee who, who um, has other interests, really, besides bhakti, and he or she goes through this yoga ladder, so to speak, to come to bhakti. Anyway, that's his... One of the way he explains this. So anyway, here Krishna is emphasizing Nishkam Karma Yoga. So from so many ways, he's he's trying to make his point, and he paused for a moment, and 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 spoke in two verses about those who have actually achieved knowledge and what's their position. They don't do anything. They have no work to perform. They have no duty. They have nothing to accomplish. They're Atma Ram Atmarati Atma Tripta. And, of course, discussing those verses gave rise to talk about the 
concept of Atmarama and how it plays out in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, um, how the Atmarama comes from self-satisfaction and no movement to a kind of movement that is parabhakti, like Sukadev, like the, like the Chattusan, the four Kumaras, and they smelled the Tulsi and so forth, and they became intoxicated and came to bhakti. So, tonight, this section, 17, we're in verse uh, 20, Krishna says, he says, Karmanai bhakti samsidhyam astita janakadaya Lokasangraham evapi sampasyam kartumarasi. Now he wants, to, he goes back to action after distinguishing between the, the jnani and for, for a moment, back to emphasize action by way of what? Citing an example. So Arjun may have questioned mentally, is there anybody that, you know, action speaks louder than words, right? So, a picture is worth a thousand words, they say. So, is there anybody you can point to to get this through my head, this concept that you're, 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 you're talking about? Remember, there's some confusion in the beginning of the chapter in the part of Arjuna. Krishna's really trying to make this clear. So he's emphasizing it from so many different ways. And now he comes with an example. Here, this, look at this. Look at Janaka, he says. Hmm? What, he says that Janaka and other kings attained perfection by proper action alone. Thus, in consideration of the people in general, you should take the proper action. So there's two things being mentioned here. One, what? That there are other great people, kings, you're a chhatri, there are other kings like Janak and others, who uh, attain perfection by this course of action I'm speaking of. And so there's an example. And besides that, you are a man of stature, Arjun. You're a hero, you're a prince, and so forth. And so... Um, because of that, you should conduct yourself in such a way that others can learn from you by your example. You're a prominent person in this society. So we're not allowing you to go off into the, into the, into the forest, into the jungle, and, and uh, so forth. So you should act by your example and teach others. And then he gives, of course, the next verse, which is very famous, Yadyarachirati Shrestas, Whatever a great man does, the world follows. Whatever standards he sets, the world pursues. This is an important verse for us, Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Why? Because it's one of the few verses of the Gita that are cited in Chaitanya Charitamrita by Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami. So, just like we find essential Bhagavatam verses in his Pramana Shlokas to support his points that he makes in Bengali. In Chaitanya Charitam, reading, will think these are important Bhagavatam verses. So, Gita verses, few, but there are some. This is one of them. It appears in a couple places in the Gita. In the first place is Nadi Lila. And through the pen of Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, Krishna is speaking about the need, that what gives rise to his um, desire to descend into the world. And, and this is really kind of. Uh, Basic, foundational to the Chaitanya Avatar, or the, or the, what do we call the Acharya Leela of Krishna, where Krishna plays the part of the Acharya. What does Achar mean? Do you know? Achar. Who knows? 
behavior, you know, same idea. So achar, there's sudachar, there's durachar. <laughs> Good behavior, bad behavior. So achar. Acharya means, it implies what? That, that if he's a, t- he's a teacher, the acharya, and his principal means of teaching is by example. Of course, the acharyas generally will write something and give a dissertation on the Vedanta and establish a school and so forth, but the word itself implies that their example is more compelling. After all, you could write so many things, but if you had a bad example, then it would be difficult for people to follow. And if you didn't write anything, which is pretty much the case of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu for the most part, but he had an extraordinary example, so many people followed. And this was his way. In Chaitanya Charitamrita, where this verse is mentioned, we find Krishna saying that if, uh, if one does not practice bhakti himself, he cannot teach it. So if I'm going to teach about my kind of bhakti, the bhakti I mentioned to Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita when I was here last, and, and more about intimate service to me, which is really what turns me on, he says, the whole world is, worships me in awe and reverence, but it does nothing for me. It doesn't excite me. But the love of the Brajbasis that they have, that is, is exciting to me, and I want more people to have the opportunity to be involved in that, to connect with me on that level. And so there's a kind of bhakti that fosters that, that begets that kind of intimacy and grants access into that leela. And it, if one doesn't practice it himself, he really can't teach it. So, given that, he says, let me accept the bhav of a bhakta and descend in the world. So, yadyadachrati shrestas, tattarebetarodhya, and then the verse is quoted. After all, as the, as, as the Gita says, whatever a great man does, other people follow in his footsteps, whatever exemplary standards he sets, the world pursues, and so forth. So, it's foundational, as I say, to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Lila. He is Krishna. And so, yes, he's directly Krishna, that's a fact. But, he's in the role of an Acharya. Therefore, he will be approached differently. We don't approach Chaitanya Mahaprabhu for romantic love with him, like some might approach Krishna for some bhogachamai kamanuga bhakti. Um, neither do we approach him like the, like the Goswamis uh, approached Krishna for tadbhavachamai kamanuga bhakti, which is romantic love through the medium of, Radha, of service to Radha, tasting whatever she tastes rather than directly consorting with Krishna. But we don't have this, this uh, idea with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Because why? He's Krishna. You'll say, why not? He's not only, he's Swayam Bhagavan. He's not an avatar. He's Krishna himself. But he's in a particular mood. It's Vrindavan Dastakur that weighs in very heavily on this, on, in his Chaitanya Bhagavat, when he says, it's true that he is Krishna and he can accept all moods, but he is in a particular mood in Leela and we should worship him accordingly. And that's how we approach the Lord in all of his forms. So, this of course is the death, you know, knell, death knell, they say, that to the idea of what? Gornagarbhav. You know what Gornagarbhav is? The idea, the imaginary idea that will become the gopis of, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We find nothing like this in Gorlila. And if it's not in the manifest Gorlila, how will it be in the unmanifest Gorlila? 
There are differences between the manifest lila, the prakat lila, and the uprakat lila, the unmanifest lila. But the differences are not substantial. That means there are no differences in the bhava. There may be differences, but there may be in details, but the bhava is the same. The bhava is the substance of the thing. So we don't find this anywhere in the prakat lila. How do we expect to find it in the uprakat lila? And if we found a cent of it in the prakat lila, then what? Everything that would be ruined. His achar, instead of sadachar, would be durachar. And then, because he's teaching primarily by his example, he says, apani achari bhakti sikai mushabari. I will teach by my example. In my avatar is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. If we found a scent of this, I mean, how strict was Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with his other disciples? He frightened Paramananda Puri, Keshav Bharati, uh, such old sannyasis, you know, they must have been 60, 70 years old, and Brahmananda Bharati was wearing the deer skin, nothing but a deer skin. These were heavy, heavy renunciates, the nine roots to the Chaitanya tree, figurative tree, they were, they're were described as these nine sannyasis, senior to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, like disciples of Madhavindra Puri and others, and so forth. Gurus themselves, they're the roots. That means his tree is rooted in, in renunciation. I mean, that's like 50% of the equation, right? Hmm? So it's not, a, it's, it means his love of God is rooted in renunciation. In other words, it's a wise kind of love, because wisdom, knowledge, means inaction, not moving in relation to things and wanting and so forth. So their roots, they're grounded, stuck there. They're heavy, not moving anywhere, not going anywhere, not going to be uprooted very easily, this Chaitanya tree of love of God. Because this is the ground that it's in. It's wise, wise love, well-reasoned love. So these gentlemen were frightened. Hmm? Advaita was, he was a big fella, he was frightened by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. When it said, they did it, he did the drama of, of Rukmini in, 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 in Navadvip. He made a line and told anybody who has, who has, uh, you know, renounced to come across, all they were, were all of them afraid to come across by his standard of renunciation. What, what he thought was, anyway, they were, he was, he, he is Bhagwan, and Bhagwan is what? What is the definition of Bhagwan? Sadaishvarya Purna. What is the Aishvarya that's important here, the opulence that's important here? Renunciation. Viryasya, Yasasya, Jnana Vairaga, Yasachayo. Aishvarya, Sasima Agrasya, Viryasya, Yasasya. This is Parasaramuni. He's described Bhagavan as he who Bhagavan possesses Bhagavan, all opulences, all strength, wealth, beauty, knowledge, fame and vairagya, renunciation. So here we find the, the renunciation in full manifest by Bhagwan in his appearance as Chaitanya Dev. Made these old staunch sannyasis nervous in his presence, the measure of his renunciation, the degree of that. Now, how can, therefore, how can there be a scent of consorting with, with, with women in the, in, in the, in the prakat? Prakat Lila. 
In his mind, he was absorbed in, in, in the gopi bhav with Krishna. Hmm? And some people want us to think that in their minds, some devotees were absorbed in thoughts of parakya with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and it's played out in the Prakat Lila, but we don't, we, 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 we don't find this in any of the Acharyas' books, this idea. This is a later-day idea. Uh, the, the, the side to which Gaur Bhakti in Bengal airs, if you will. There's an emphasis on Gaur Bhakti, Bajagauranga, Kahagauranga, Lahagauranga, Yernahame, started by Nityananda Prabhu. Then there's the other side of the Goswamis writing about Krishna Bhakti. We talked about that and so forth. So there can be an air on either side. We need to balance between the two. Goswamis exhibited that, of course, but people will take that side and err to the side by saying, Gaur Leela is only a Prakat Leela, there's no Niti Leela. And on the other side, they err this way. Gaur Leela goes so far that it's, there's the Parakiya with Gaur. So, no. If, as I say, if there was a trace of this, his whole renunciation would be ruined, and if his renunciation was ruined, his whole Acharya Leela would be ruined. This is the very principal means by which he said he would have to teach and told us also, for that matter, if you really want to teach, you have to practice bhakti yourself. So by your example, you'll teach. So an important verse to us, very foundational. And it again comes up in the uh, Madhya Leela. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has gone to Vrindavan. And there he meets a Brahman, Sonadiya Brahmana, who exhibits ecstatic love. And Mahaprabhu sees that and finds some commonality with him, some common ground. And he thinks, how could he? How could this kind of love, which is the kind of love I'm experiencing, be manifest in this Brahman? It was a low. There's like divisions of classes of within Brahmins and so forth. This was a lower class Brahman, and uh, so he questioned, where, where did where did you get this kind of love and so forth? And the man revealed, the Brahman revealed that. Some time ago, Madhavendrapuri, a saint, came here. He went to Govardhan, he did this and so forth, and he came to my house, and he kindly initiated me, and he ate food in my house, cooked by me. And Mahaprabhu then said, you are my guru, I offer respect to you, because Madhavendrapuri was the guru of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's guru, Ishwar Puri. And he was so embarrassed, this Brahman, that, you know, you bring ruin in my, to me and my family, you're a sannyasi and you're worshipping me. He said, no, you're the... You are the disciple of Madhavendrapuri. He is uh, uh, worshipable by my own guru, would speak of me, and you are connected with him. Nowhere could, but with, with, without this connection, you cannot get this kind of love. Madhavendrapuri is said to be the seed of the kind of love that flowered and fruited in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. People like to say Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's own sampradaya. I mentioned this the other day. Mahaprabhu, Jiva Goswami said Mahaprabhu, Sri Chaitanya started his own sampradaya. That's true. But it is connected with the Madhva Sampradaya. People deny that, but Mahaprabhu had a guru. Ishvarapuri, was he a Gaudiya Vaishnav? Was he a Chaitanya Vaishnav? <laughs> yes, but no. <laughs> was his guru one? Madhavendrapuri. So they had a Vaishnav lineage also, and people have reasoned, done research and reasoned it was, must have been the Madhva Sampradaya. So, at any rate, he then wanted to take lunch at that. Brahman's house. So they went, and he had, of course, his assistant with him, Balabhadra Bhattacharya, and Balabhadra asked the Brahman to collect some foods that he would cook for Mahaprabhu, as he did regularly. But Mahaprabhu said, no, the Brahman will cook for me. 
And the man said, don't you know what will happen? This will bring ruin in your family. The, the Brahmins from our particular caste can't cook for sannyasis. See, there's so many rules, right? Varnashram about uh, who can cook for who, who can eat for what, what can eat who, and who can eat what, and, and so, uh, so forth. Hard to keep up with. But Mahaprabhu said, no, I will cook. You will cook and I will eat from your hand. And, and what, what is my reason for this? That Madhavendra Puri ate from, from your hand. And he quoted, whatever a great man does. This is the standard that we will follow. And then he quoted another nice verse. He said, what is it? Tarko pratishtat shutayor bibinam. Now so Rishir Yasyumatam Nabinam Dharmasatvam Nihitam Guhayam Mahajano Yena Gatasapanta. Very nice point he made here. He says, Tarko Pratishta. By dry argument, you never get anywhere. Up Pratishta. Pratishta means position. Like people want position. We say you've got a problem with Pratishta. So Tarko Pratishta, by argument, you never really arrive at any conclusive position because there's always another argument, another argument. So reason is, is endlessly you know, circular. Tarko Pratishta, Shrutayo Vibhinam. And that we just heard, the Shruti, the scriptures, Vibhinam. There's so many opinions about what it means. And there's so many opinions in the scripture. Do this, the other place says, don't do this. How do you sort all that out? And one cannot be a rishi unless he has a different opinion from somebody, from another rishi. So, in other words, it's like, it's like in modern society, you're going to be somebody, you've got to have a different opinion than your teacher or the other ones. You have a new theory, a new nuance, then you're somebody. So, there's a lot of confusion out there. What's the solution? This is my argument. Is my, my scripture? There's so many different things being said. You can't be a rishi with unless you have a different opinion. Where dharma setatvam nihitam guhayam he said the truth about dharma dharma setatvam is guha. Guha means hidden, hidden. Nihitam guhayam dharma setatvam nihitam guhayam in the cave, hidden of the heart. In the heart of a Mahajana, a saint. Mahajan, it means. Jan means person. Maha, great person, means a saint. A person who, the truth about Dharma, that's where it will be found. Therefore, the emphasis in the Bhaktivinoda Paribar on sadhu, Siddharmarsh put it like this Scripture is the passive agent of divinity. And the sadhu is the active agent of divinity. So it means a number of things. One of the things it means, he or she, the sadhu, brings the scripture to life. I mean, it's a book, you read it, what will you get out of it? What, he could have read this verse tonight, would all of this come out? <laughs> <laughs> so the active agent is there. Two Bhagavats, the book Bhagavat and the person Bhagavat. Right? So, uh, and, and, the, and the, the, the person is active agent. And there we'll find the real meaning of the scripture, the practically applied. We may find them say things that seem to, to uh, um, they may make innovation, for example, and so forth, that may not seem to be in the scripture. They'll give some way of 
some reference to support it and so forth. And you, I don't know if that supports it or not, but they made that academic exercise for the, for the sake of the people. But really, in fact, they are the living drum, so to speak. Jivanta Madanga. This is the Brihat Madanga, the great Madanga. They are the living Madanga, and it's alive, and and we can expect new light to come from from there. So the heart of the devotee. This is this is the Mahajan. This is where the truth of Dharma will be, will be found. Therefore, great persons, they should be followed. This is the point that Krishna wants to make tonight to Arjuna. He cited great person like Janaka and others and whatever they... So, you should do. Others will follow you. You should follow them. That would be good for you. Any question? Yes? Um, we're talking about holidays, divisions... Um, and, and I think just in general, a lot of times it seems like these divisions, especially in the West, they seem like like a devotee could have the whole scope of it. It seems like far more mixed up than than how it's talked about. I was just wondering if you could speak about how to think about that. Well, yeah, Prabhupada painted things with a pretty broad bhakti brush. Everything's bhakti. For example, and Prabhupada's Gita practically, you know, so he's trying to make devotees. But now we're coming back and sorting it all out to what extent one is a an unalloyed devotee and mixed devotee and so on and so forth. So I think, and I like the Baladev's idea in, in, in a sense, because there's an overarching idea that because they've come in touch with the sadhu and the bhakti marg, and taken to bhakti, and their ideal is Shuddha bhakti, Braj bhakti, so they're a devotee, but then they're in different stages of devotion, and there's different degrees which, in which they apply themselves and actually do bhakti. And if they're living, for example, this question is asked, well, what about the boys who live outside? You know, they don't do bhakti all the time. Are they sometimes Nishkam karma yogis, and they go into a phone booth and change, and they become devotees, you know, and they go to Artik, and... Some, uh, another point there somewhere else. Yeah. So you can use Baladev's terminology, I think, effectively and say, well, there's the Nirapekshas, the renunciates, they're only doing bhakti. And then there's the Parinishtas, who in the optimum are doing bhakti. And because of their particular situation in the world, although they're not attached to their situation, like bhakti Vinod, uh, they're conducting themselves appropriately to set example for others. And whatever actions they do that are not bhakti, that are, they're either prescribed in the Vedas or their, their occupation, let's say, to today's world, the fruits they're giving to Bhagwan. Not everybody rises to that standard, perhaps. So they have to think about that. And they may be more attached to what they're doing you know, to maintain themselves and so forth, than they are to bhakti. But um, you know, they're they're just different levels of devotees. I think is the way to way to look at it. But basically, there there are those that are in a situation for whatever reason, primarily because of desires that they have to do things other than bhakti. Here, we only have to do bhakti. So. They have to do other things besides bhakti, but there's a way to do those that that, that, that takes the, the the negative effect out of it, 
they should become attached to bhakti gradually as a result of that, and not much more. And still they might be fully attached to bhakti, but now they've got two kids and mortgage and so forth, so they just carry on, and no, no harm. And they set an example for others, how to be an ideal uh, devotee in those particular circumstances. So it's possible. But whether everybody can do that is another thing. How good a renunciate everyone can be, that's, a, that's another thing too. Another question? But you're right. I mean, this is a, talking about a certain civilization, the Varnashram. And, you know, Varnashram is like, where is it? You know, it's obviously not around here. So, uh, you know, in San Francisco. So the average guy in the street, uh, you know, he's got a dharma, you know, and he's got a, you know, in a very, very basic sense, he's got a, you know, a nature that's derived from the modes of nature. And uh, so propensity to act, and he's probably acting accordingly, you know, accordingly. So you encourage him to do his work and uh, give the results to, to Krishna and, and also hear and chant about Krishna. And that's a good start. Another question? You could say those three divisions, Sanishta, Parinishta, and Ritya, here in the West, it seems like, you know, they're like shades of each one. Yeah, that's what he's saying. Yeah. It's all mixed up. It's all mixed up. Kali Yuga. Therefore, Prabhupada is a Janari Krishna. Everybody's a devotee, Janari Krishna. Started out, you know, as you advance, but as you advance, and as the thing is, as this becomes more, uh, is more circulated, bhakti, you're going to expect a refining and a, and of it and and so forth. I mean, I used to say, if the whole United States accepted the Varnashram and that Krishna was God, there'd still be, and then in reincarnation, there'd still be so much preaching to be done, right? on so many levels. And then you'd have all these kind of divisions that you have in the Bhagavad Gita and so forth. Almost more frustrating, because then they think they know. And, and, <laughs> right? We're seeing a little bit of that today. Yeah. Prabhupada used to talk about, and there's the Prakriti Sahajiyas, and we thought, what is he talking about these people for? You know, Some people out of the past, and we realize now, they're out there right now. Mm-hmm. All kinds of Upasampradayas and you know, fall from Vaikuntha Sampradayas and this one and that one. Sampradaya Charyas, you know, crazies and so forth. All right, so we'll stop there. Srimad Bhagavad Gita Ki Jai. Shri Guri Vaishnava Guru Parampara Ki Jai. Srimad Bhagavad Gita Ki Jai. Reading from the third chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Karma Yoga, verse 22. Name parthasti kartabhyam trishu lokeshu kinchana nana vaptam vaptabhyam bhartaeva chakarmani O Sanaprita, there is no work that I need to perform in all the three worlds, nor is there anything to be attained by me. In spite of this, I nevertheless perform prescribed duties. Yadihi aham na bhartayam jatu karmani Atandita, Mamavartmanavartante Manushapartha Sarvashaha. Or if I should fail to engage in proper action of Partha, people would follow in my footsteps in every way. Utside orime loka, nakudjam karma chet aham, sankarasya chakartasyam, upahanyam ima praja. If I did not act properly, the world would perish and I would be the cause of social chaos. 
therefore thereby ruining the population. So in these verses, Krishna now in speaking about examples of those who whose lives illustrate the principle that he's stressing. That principle is for Krishna for Arjuna at this time action, act, detached action, in which the uh, fruits of one's efforts are offered to Bhagavan. Really, in a classic sense, he's speaking about the performance of one's duties in the Varna Ashram and without attachment to the results and, as I say, offering the results to Krishna. And so, having spoken about it and stressed action in so many ways, he has cited an example. Janaka and others, he said, they became perfect by this. And by their example, they uh, inspired others. And you're a great man, the implication is a warrior, a statesman, a prince, and so forth. And you have to set an example for others. So you can't just run off to the forest. You have to do your duty and show how to do your duty with detachment and with devotion at the same time, offering the results to God. Indeed, he said, whatever a great man does, others are going to follow. So if you run off to the forest, then everybody's going to, mm-hmm. what's going to become of the others? It's an argument he's making. In so many ways, he's trying to make his point and argue in favor of action for Arjuna at this particular time. And having cited an example of others and speaking about the very principle of of how people in general follow the example of great people and therefore you should set an example and now he cites his own person himself with that in that connection uh, in these verses he's a great person and this is what he does he's saying I myself am a, a man of action um, of course, Krishna is many things, but here he's stressing this because he wants to convince Arjuna, Nishkam Karma Yoga. Right now, what is it? It's actually Vishwanath Chakrati Thakur has another name for it. Bhagwat Arpita Nishkam Karma Yoga. So, yeah, well, anyway, in which the fruit is offered to Bhagwan. So there's Nishkam Karma Yoga without that. So there's an element in here of devotion, and that's the enduring element and what makes the whole thing valuable. After all, Nishkam Karma Yoga, the fruit of it is knowledge. And Bhagavatam says, Nishkarma Pyachuta Bhava Bharjita Nishkarma Pyachuta Nishkarma Apyachuta Bhava Bharjita Nagyanam What is it? Alambanam Anyway, he said Gyana Narto Vyas Nard that Tovas Vyas, uh, this uh, knowledge without devotion doesn't look very good. What then to speak of karmic activities, however well performed? He'll go on to say, better to do some devotion, even if you're immature in that, you're better off. So, knowledge does not look well. What to speak of fruit of activities without devotion? So, if, point being, if you attain knowledge, by Nishkam Karma Yoga. So what? This is the bhakti position. What is it? In fact, Vishnu Chakravarti says, if you attain knowledge, and knowledge means the destruction of avidya and karma and so forth, you think we're doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. You're a jivan mukta, become a liberated person in this life. 
but without devotion, Bhishma says, invariably, inevitably, if we attain knowledge without devotion, we'll end up thinking that the Godhead is some manifestation of Maya and we'll make offense. And because of our lack of devotion from our position of a liberated soul in this world, without having gone to the other side and left the body, the prabhda expired, you'll fall down again. <laughs> the Bhagavatam says the same thing. They think, they think they're liberated, but they, because they have no, they are against bhakti, but they don't take up bhakti, then their position is not secure. So, what to speak of knowledge, not looking very, not being very becoming without bhakti, then certainly fruitive activities or not. This is the statement of Srimad Bhagavatam. So, important point here that Krishna is making. He's adding this element of devotion to God into his Nishkam Karma Yoga. In the second chapter, he spoke about Nishkam Karma Yoga. That's where he began to speak of it. And in verse 51, what did he say there? He said, and by this you will attain Vaikuntha. You can't attain Vaikuntha by Nishkam Karma Yoga. You're going to get Sattva Guna. You can get knowledge as the result of Sattva. But if you have some devotion in there, then you'll get self-knowledge. Self-knowledge will naturally promote qualities as knowledge of the Paramatma, and that yeah, gives access to Vaikuntha. So, anyway, Bhakti is required. And um, so, stressing it in so many ways, Nishkam Karma Yoga, now he stresses his own example. As I say, he says, I'm a man of action. Hmm? I don't have to do any work. That's my position. So I'm actually a person of knowledge also. I have no purpose that I need to accomplish anything. There's nothing I need to attain. Everything's already attained by me. Uh, uh, so that's my Still, I act that others may have an example to follow. So you should follow my example, he said. Therefore, he's saying... Even if you are a jnani, then you should set an example by Nishkam Karma Yoga for the people, especially a person of, of the stature of Arjuna, worldly and so forth. And uh, if I should fail to act, engage in proper action, then people would follow my footsteps in every way, and so the world would go to hell. So, again, this principle, what? That, Word. Action speaks louder than word. Example is better than, more important than precept. And he says, then, this verse is another verse quoted in Chaitanya Charge. I'm reading the same chapter that the verse we discussed yesterday is found in. That would be the third chapter of the Adi Lila, where Krishna is explaining through the pen of Krishna's Kaviraj that his uh, interest in descending to the world to teach bhakti, teach braj bhakti. Other types of bhakti can be taught by his his angsas, his plenary portions, and incarnations, but Bhakti, only he can give that, and he'll have to give it in such a way by teaching about it through his own example. So, there in the context of that, as we heard last night, this verse from Gita was called Dyadyarachati Shrestha Stattadevetarojana Sayat Brahmanam Gurute Lokastadanavartate Whatever great man does, others follow. So this verse is also quoted here. Utsidayori me loka nakad kurjam karma ched aham sankarasya chakartasyam upahanyam imaprajat. 
It's interesting because he says, if I did not act properly, the world would perish and I would be the cause of social chaos, thereby ruining the population. He's really speaking about the necessity to establish the laws of action, of appropriate action. And it's interesting because it's kind of humorous in a way. Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami has cited this, Krishna speaking this in the Gita, with regard to what? Krishna coming to the world and advocating lawless love of God. Rag Bhakti transcends the laws, so to speak. There's interaction with Bhagavan that um, transcends the, 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 the rules for interacting with him, if you will, even up to Vaikuntha or Dwaraka. Now, it's true that Krishna, when he descended, was did set a good example. He, he spoke the Bhagavad Gita. He, he um, lived as a prince in Dwarka, but in all of his activities, even outside of the Braj, we find that he's, he, he, he certainly breaks his own laws, and, um, and in the Braj, he sets a very, what might be a very bad example for the world by his own actions. <laughs> so I think that Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami had a bit of a humor in mind <laughs> when he cited this verse about Krishna speaking about establishing the laws of the society, and if I don't, there'll be a problem, and I must do it by my example. When he cited such a verse in the context, as I say, of Krishna speaking about his desire to descend and bestow upon people the opportunity to, in, to interact with him in what is sometimes called lawless love of God beyond law. It doesn't, it means, it means that you've followed the laws so well, so to speak, that you've transcended them, gone to a higher level of interaction and intimacy with Bhagavan. But, Lawless and spontaneous, and there, you know, as I say, there's no Mother Yashoda isn't Om Krishna, here's your breakfast, you know, kind of thing. Eat this, he says, and even puts him down from her breasts uh, to attend to the milk on the uh, boiling over on the stove. So it's a, as I say, it seems a bit humorous to quote this first. Let's read from the purport. Commentary. This is not Braj speak, Krishna speaking here, Swami says. Although he can do no wrong, certainly Krishna appears to set a poor example in his affairs with the gopis. Thus, after hearing of Braj Krishna's rasa dance with others' wives, Maharaj Pariksit asked Sukadeva how the very support of Dharma, Krishna himself, could act out of character, apparently contradicting what he says in this verse. Sukadeva answered by explaining that great persons, Ishwaraha, can do what others cannot. They act without selfish motive and thus are not implicated in karmic reaction by their seemingly material activities. Furthermore, from an ontological point of view, Krishna is the husband, maintainer of the husbands, the gopis, for he resides, resides in the hearts of all. Everyone belongs to Krishna, but not everyone acknowledges this. The gopis of Krishna Lila exemplify for us the acknowledgement of this principle to the extreme. We are to learn from them the ideal life of devotion to God that Bhagavad Gita points to in its concluding words. 
the gopis were Krishna's most surrendered devotees and his union with them, while appearing inappropriate on the surface, was, in fact, most appropriate. Krishna is easier to understand as the prince and statesman of the Bhagavad Gita than he is in his lila of divine love with the gopis. However, readers should understand that Krishna's noble and majestic character, Aishvarya, brought out in this verse, is not absent in his Brajalila. It lies beneath the surface of that Leela and is foundational to it. For were Braj Krishna not God himself, the very support of Dharma, his Leela with the gopis, would hold little charm for us. It is only because he is God that his most human-like Leela is so sweet, Madhurya. This point is central to Gaudi Vedanta. For the pleasure of his devotees, like the gopis, Krishna may violate the scripture, otherwise not. To please Krishna's devotees is the essence of scriptural adherence. Scripture tells us that the criterion for evaluating the perfection of action is the extent to which it pleases God. Some city, Haditoshanam. And there is nothing that pleases Krishna more than the pleasure of his devotees. However, under scrutiny, Krishna does not violate scripture, nor would this be pleasing to his devotees. Arjuna's concern for keeping social order intact, which was voiced in chapter 1, is addressed here by Krishna. He says that, with this in mind, previous commentators have given this verse a narrow interpretation. Krishna's concern for the social order means the conservation of caste within the traditional Varnashram, social religious system. Ironically, concern for improved social order today involves a breaking down of what are considered artificial boundaries, such as race, sex, religion, and so on. An improved world order is thought to be one in which people relate to one another based on what they have in common as human beings, a vision that transcends material differences. This is the spirit of the essential message of Bhagavad Gita as well, wherein the common tie between humanity even all species, is their common spiritual essence. It is in pursuit of realizing this common ground that the Gita stresses adherence to its social order. But since the likelihood of reestablishing the social system, socio-religious system in the modern world is slight, it may be best to stress the essential message of the Gita, which is to elevate the understanding of humanity's common bond from one that is species-centered to one that is based in spirituality. In doing so, the spirit behind the Gita's concern for preserving the social order can also be stressed by emphasizing the importance of social morality in general and avoiding the watering down of values, understanding these concerns as the religious and moral underpinnings of a spiritual reality. Most of the world's religions contain a kind of socially oriented teaching that validates social activism. These teachings are rarely seen as the means to enlightenment itself, but are certainly not seen as being opposed to it. Devotees who, like Arjun, are not ready to take up a life of renunciation can perhaps find in these teachings models of a contemporary social framework in support of enlightened life. Vaishnavas share many of the values inherent in the environmental movement, vegetarian, animal protection movement, certain aspects of liberal social thought, and various other related types of activism, and there is no reason why 
karma yoga to promote these values would militate against a Vaishnava's gradual advancement. Indeed, since Krishna himself speaks in favor of these values, working to promote them could be considered pleasing to God in the most general sense, as is adherence to the prescribed duties of Varnashram Dharma. Selfless renunciation of the fruits of one's work, knowledge of an underlying spiritual purpose of all things and the desire to please God are the basic principles that, when combined with the culture of devotion to God, lead one gradually to the supreme destination. So rather dynamic there, approach to understanding the essence of the Varn Ashram in the modern age. Any questions? Yes. When you don't have attachment to the fruits of your action, then it seems that you have qualification for more than Nishkam Karma Yoga. Why would you want to continue to do action which is troublesome? Other than to set an example, but it, it seems like you start being qualified for more than Nishkam Karma Yoga. So people that are, in, gen, in general, people that are on the path of Nishkam Karma Yoga, are they trying to get to that point, but they're still passing attachment? No, there's two things. They're trying to get that point, or they may have reached that point of detachment from action, but their particular social circumstances mandate that they remain in their position. Let's say someone, to, to an extent, I mean, a married person with children and a family and so forth and, and so on may become advanced in Nishkam Karma Yoga and, and qualified for Gyan and so forth, but remain in this position. When I was a, of course, this is a devotee context, but when I was a young man and married and so forth, I um, had joined Prabhupada's mission. I had absolutely no interest in in a married life, but I thought, well, I was married, so what could I do? So I should set a good example as a perfect householder. But my example was too spiritual for my wife, so <laughs> she ended up leaving. <laughs> so... Uh, then I was able to enter into uh, ashram, monastic life. But I thought, well, this is my situation, so it's not an impediment. And we say that, that life is not an impediment, and it's not. If you make Krishna consciousness the center of your life, then it doesn't have to be an impediment. Really, it becomes an impediment to the extent that Krishna consciousness is not the center of the life of either of, either of the parties or both of the parties combined. That's what makes it troublesome. And of course, the, the more it is, the more the closer you'll be involved, and the more your life will start to look like probably would call his householders brahmachari, grihastha brahmacharis. There's a statement like that in the, in the Bhagavatam. They would have sex only at the order of the guru. They're considered brahmachari, grihastha brahmacharis, something like that, for making a breed of devotees, was the idea. <laughs> breeding devotees. So that's a very different person than an ordinary householder. And they might continue to set the example and so forth, given the circumstance. No harm. Kings like Janaka became perfect like that. Even Krishna was a householder. <laughs> Another question? One other question. If you're offering the fruits to God in Nishkam Karma Yoga, then... Does someone have to 
be careful to do things that are likely to have fruits that might be offered to God, or is it, um, or is actions like for the general welfare of humanity considered uh, a good offering to God? Like, for example, volunteering to f- for he- feeding the hungry. There's obviously not going to be, if you're volunteering, you're not going to get a fruit in the form of money that could be offered to a temple. So would that be within the scope of Mishkan uh, Karma Yoga? Could be, I suppose, in a dynamic sense. I mean, this is speaking in a classic sense about Varnashram, and there are there are certain duties to perform in Varnashram that you could pose the same question: Where's the fruit exactly? You know, I'm dutifully doing what I'm supposed to do. Arjuna is dutifully fighting the war. How does he offer the fruit? What's the fruit? But it's more the spirit that I'm doing this because it's ordained in the scriptures and therefore it's for the pleasure of God. Hmm? And so I'm doing this, it's not ordained in the scripture to you know volunteer for the peace march or something like that, but, but as I'm speaking about here in the commentary, if we find the underlying... Principle Varnashram is meant to unite people ultimately, even while it divides ostensibly on the surface, people in the different sects is supposed to unite them on a spiritual uh, platform. And so when people move in the direction of united, uniting you know humanity, finding its common ground, well they're they're moving away from human differences towards you know, what we all have in common. We all have in common that we're humans, but keep going in that direction. We all have in common that we're, we're a soul. Is kind of the idea. And selfless action is also recommended, for example, in the 12th chapter. If you can't do anything, we'll just do selfless action in some respect. So it is moving in the direction of giving up selfishness and so forth. And, uh, and that's you know, in a remote way, pleasing, as Varnashram in a remote way is pleasing to God. So there's some scope for thinking of it like that, I believe. Doing it because it's the right thing to do. I mean, it's a political cause. It's kind of complicated, let's say. Who's right, what, why the war is going, you know. Soldiers go off thinking they're protecting the country, and the country actually created the problem, you know. Started it, who, who knows, but, yeah. It really does seem like you have to be in a society where the whole society is God-conscious for it to work, because otherwise your, I mean, your duties really aren't aren't doing that. Well, they should be under guidance of a guru, perhaps. Nishkam Karma Yoga here is going on under the guidance of a guru. But, yeah, it's Kali Yuga, Chan Hare Krishna. Yes? And when you only the point she was making about different things you know, said like volunteering and stuff. People, the society we live in today, when you volunteering work, you know, like it's for people like Mother Teresa, the society readily, they take that as being spiritual. Mm-hmm. They appreciate that. Well, yeah, it's very, you know, it's very it's roundabout remote. and remote, but mm-hmm. I mean, the more we move in the direction of 
away from selfishness, the, you know, the better. But, I mean, like I say, you can move real far and even come to Atma Gyan. And from the point of view of the, of the uh, Ananya Bhaktas, you've gone nowhere. You've gone nowhere because even from there, you'll return not having devotion. Not, of course, you know, she's also believes in God, and so, well, I mean, you can't weigh in on each person, but, I mean, her activities are noble and, and uh, in many respects desirable and so forth, but we have a different thing we want to teach the people. Uh, another question. You, you made a remark about Jivan Mukta. Hmm. I, Jivan Mukta means liberated in this life. He's liberated, but the Prabhupada karma is still there. So, witnessing the Prabhupada. One can be Jivan Mukta and still not have devotion. Yeah. Yeah. By Nishkam Karma Yoga, you can become a Jivan Mukta, come to knowledge, full knowledge of the Atma. But from the Bhakti perspective, from the words of Narada, it's not very becoming. Strong statement, but he knows what is Bhakti. And this is so, and that's Bhagavatam, so that's what the Bhagavatam says. So it's not just my opinion, it's Bhagavatam's opinion. It's very strong. So why avoid devotion anyway? Why fight with that? Wait a minute, you know, we did this, we did this, come, come. he's very advanced. Mm-hmm. You're just a neophyte devotee saying this. We're just quoting the scripture. Why, why, why you want to fight against it? Got something against Bhakti? Against Bhagavan? Against Krishna God? Have something against serving him? Well, uh, anyway, then they start blaspheming God, you know. So, well, this is your position, you know. <laughs> See, it's unbecoming. The question whether there is a God or to what extent he's maybe Brahman, but it's a Saguna Brahman. And, and immediately, you know, it's not what Krishna says. What does he say? He says, there's no truth superior to me. Is that Saguna Brahman or Nirguna Brahman speaking? If it's Saguna Brahman, then I guess he's wrong. There's no truth superior to me. If he's Nirguna Brahman speaking, then what? You understand? Shankar says that the manifestation of Ishwar, Bhagavan, like Krishna in the world, is a form of Brahman that takes on material qualities for a certain time and purpose. But in the ultimate reality, it's Nirguna, without any qualities, so that God, Ishwar, disappears. So in the Gita, Krishna says, there's, what is that verse? Nothing superior to me, everything rests upon me like pearls are strung right. upon a thread. So, the question is, is that Saguna Brahma speaking? If it is, he must be wrong. If it's Nirguna Brahma speaking, then, then what? Krishna can't be wrong. So anyway, that's a, some devotional logic there. So, you, under, you know, you may... It may be a strong statement, it's, it's, it's from the scripture, but someone says, who cares for your scripture, then what? And you're blaspheming the scripture, how would you even know about your process of, of uh, Nishkam Karma Yoga and Gyan and so forth? You say, what's wrong, you got something against devotion? Then they start making devotion out to be less than it is, and then you have to make out God to be less. Then they reveal their position. If there is a God, then... And so many statements to that effect, Krishna's saying... Nothing superior to me. Everything comes from me. And you're against devotion to the person. Not very becoming. 
It may look good on its face, but it won't endure. They won't get full liberation. You cited the Bhagavad Gita's Arya Krishna That uh, refers to the Jivan Mukta. That refers to the Jivan Mukta. It's quoted in Chaitanya Charitamrita, and the words Jivan Mukta are used in Bengali to talk about it. You can't get beyond Jiva Mukta without Bhakti. So it's not talking about somebody beyond there. Because you can only go there with Bhakti. Krishna says it in the Gita. What does he say? He says that Mama Maya Maya Nobody can cross my Maya unless I let them. Nobody. Such is the nature of my Maya. Mama Maya Duratya. But who those who surrender to me, they can cross over that. So there's it, there's it, there's it. Without bhakti, you can't get liberation. You could come to the position of a Jivan Mukta, and if you resist bhakti, you go down. That's what the verse says. All right, let's stop there. Srimad Bhagavad Gita ki jai, bhakti yoga ki jai.